Well, thank you. It is fantastic uh, to be with you this morning. I want to uh, thank uh, Kat and all of you for having me. Uh, I do tend to walk around a little bit, so I'm not going to use the lectern this morning. I might just uh, shuffle this over a little bit. And so that I don't trip over, we'll move this over here. Um, it is significant uh, for me to be with you this morning. Uh, as we've heard, I'm a part of uh, Sports Chaplaincy Australia and have the honour of leading uh, Victoria and Tasmania as well. And it is significant to be here because you as a church are leading the way. I'm sure many of you would know this, but some of you may not. Um, in the state of Victoria, you as a church, Bo Morris Baps, has the largest number of sports chaplains uh, in sporting communities. You guys have, I think it's six uh, sports chaplains doing a wonderful, wonderful job. So uh, be encouraged. We often brag about you guys. And when we're uh, connecting with other churches, I'll often use the example of Bo Morris Baps and all the uh, great things you are doing. So you guys are on the front line doing a great work, um, so it is special to be here uh, with you today. Now, I must admit, I am a man in grief this morning. Um, my football team, the Geelong Cats, any Cats fans? We la lost last night, which officially means we won't make the finals this year after winning the grand final last year. So it's kind of like we're on cloud nine for a while and we're coming back to reality. Um, but also the Matildas losing wasn't much good at all. So um, I'm going to try and preach myself happy this morning. <laughs> Um, I'm excited to continue the series you've been in, uh, Faith Runs Deep, uh, and bringing the instalment, The Other Religion. Uh, if you didn't realise how much of a sporting nation we are, um, after watching the Matildas and after seeing the World Cup fever that's taken place the last month or so, it's now become clear to everyone in Australia that we are a sporting nation in a big way. Uh, and it's been great to see how Australia has embraced the Matildas and the World Cup. Um, just the other night, the semi-final, um, our seven-year-old girl, she, uh, we, we, she really wanted to watch the game, so we came up with an agreement. She would go to sleep at seven, and then we woke her up right on eight o'clock to get up to watch the semi-final, and we were on the edge of our seats, and so was little Harper just watching every moment, and she's decided she wants to play soccer now. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so we're looking into that um, but the reality is that hundreds of thousands flocked to stadiums around Australia um, many many people turned on their TVs to tune in to the Matildas games um, and in fact it was the most watched TV program in Australia in 22 years that's saying something not just sports program but any program in 20 uh, two years, over 11 million people tuned in to the semi-final um, earlier this week. It's no exaggeration to say that sport sits at the heart of Australian culture. Uh, approximately 14 million people participate in sport around Australia every Sunday. To put that in, uh, not Sunday, every week. To put that in context, that's more than half of the Australian population participate in sport weekly. Researcher Mark McCrindle, some of you would be familiar with his work, he says, we are more religious about sport than religion itself. Australians spend four times more time watching sport at home per week 
than doing religious activity. Over the past 60 years in Australia, we've seen an exponential uh, rise in secularism. Uh, The 2021 census revealed that 38.9% of Australians consider themselves non-religious. Many of these uh, individuals, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that they see sport as their religion. Instead of maybe coming along to a church on a Sunday morning like we have to worship, they'll head along to their stadium like Kat and others did. But Kat's a Christian. She comes to church as well. Like others did to Marvel Stadium and places like that um, last night. Instead of singing worship songs and hymns as we did this morning, they will belt out their club theme song with passion and enthusiasm. Uh, And instead of coming to church to find a place of a sense of belonging, many of these individuals will go to their sporting communities to find that sense of community and belonging. And to be honest, as someone that has uh, been in ministry and we led a church for 10 years, um, I find it very challenging to consider and I often ask myself, Does the sporting community or the churches do a better job at welcoming people? Do sporting communities or churches create a greater sense of belonging when people come in to those communities? Now, obviously, I don't have the answer to that question this morning because it's so vast, the number of churches and sporting communities, but I think it is a question that we should grapple with as Christians and as people that go along to churches. How can we go about creating an environment and a community where where anyone and everyone can come in and feel welcome? I first tasted uh, community at a football club when I was 11. Um, Football very quickly became central in my life. Uh, When I was 11, I started uh, playing football for a local football team uh, with my friend. And um, it became clear to me quite quickly that I I had a natural ability to play football. And my first year at that club, I was uh, runners-up, best and fairest. And it was kind of like, wow, this all happened quickly. Uh, And before I knew it, uh, football became everything in my world. Uh, And it was interesting because after a game of footy where I played really well, I would walk from the change room, parents' car, head off, and I would hear, hey, Luke, great game. Luke, you played so well and receive all this affirmation from parents and, and friends. And it was like, when you played well, you knew about it. But then on the flip side, if I had an average game, that walk from the change rooms to the car was a little bit more silent. And what happened for me was football and my performance on the sporting field quickly became the thing that my identity was anchored to. My sense of meaning, my sense of personal value and worth was quickly derived from my performance on the sporting field. 
And if I played well, it's like I was on cloud nine for the rest of that day, for the rest of the week. I felt good about myself. Life was good. I was happy. But on the flip side, if I had an average game, I'd be feeling really average. It would fully shape the week ahead for me. And my identity, my sense of value was like a yo-yo. It was fickle. It was up and down because it was completely tied to my performance on the field. Um, I started playing representative uh, footy, uh, went doing development stuff with the TAC Cup around 15, and then I played under-18s uh, football. And as uh, a lot of young people have this, a similar goal, I wanted to play AFL football. That was kind of what I was focused on. That's what I wanted to go after. Uh, and I had a great uh, bottom age year and then my top age year under-18s. Uh, things didn't go to plan. I had an injury for the first half of the season and then unfortunately didn't have great favour with the coach. So I came to the end of that season um, and there was, for me, a lot of disappointment and discouragement. Uh, But at that age, rather than processing what I felt, I just found distractions. I didn't have the, the awareness to know how to process the the devastation that I felt that things uh, didn't go my way. So for the first half of my life, sport was everything. My whole life revolved around this thing called football. My sense of self was tied to this this thing. And when Paul writes to uh, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 21, where he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And what we see is from the early church all the way to now, the heart has had, the human heart, has this tendency to take good things, created things for our enjoyment and to make those things ultimate things, to elevate those things to the position of God. And football was my master and I had become its servant. Um, Was I a Christian? Yes. Did God occupy a place in my heart and my life? Absolutely. Was God central? Was God the central figure in my life at that time? I would have to say no, he wasn't. Um, I was looking to my performance and the affirmation of others rather than to God to find a sense of meaning and value and purpose. The late Tim Keller insightfully says this, An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Sport is a wonderful thing. There's a reason I am in sports chaplaincy. There's a reason I love watching sports. Sport is a brilliant thing. But at times in our culture, it can go from becoming being a good thing to being the ultimate thing, like many things in our lives. And this morning I want to ask a honest but important question. Are there any good things in your life? Any good things that you 
get yourself involved in that have become ultimate things in your life, ultimate things in your heart. Good things that were created by God that we go to instead of God to find that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. For some of us, it may be work, it may be money, it may be success. We might go to these things and we're like, I need to work harder, I need to hustle, I need to do more because it makes me feel significant. That's the place that I find my significance. Um, For others of us, it may be social status. We live in a society now where there is so much emphasis on how other people perceive us. And are we impressive to those around us? Does our life impress those around us? For some, it may be appearance. For others, like it was for me, it may be a hobby that's gone from being a hobby to being more than a hobby. Um, For others, it might be a relationship. Something I need to be aware of uh, is my own children. Um, I love my children so, so much, and I want to see them do well in life. I want to give them the best version of myself. But even as parents, we need to be aware of our heart's tendency to place our children in the position of God, the people that we find our fulfillment from and through, and we find our sense of identity from A few months um, after things didn't work out for me um, in under-18s football, I went off to a schoolie celebration. Does everyone here know what schoolies is? Yeah, all of you are nodding your heads. Some of you are smiling at me. Schoolies is generally a wild time when um, year 12s finish high school and head off to party and celebrate um, finishing school. So schoolies for me was a great distraction. It was, it was an opportunity for me not to have to dig below the surface and ask the questions about how I felt about things not going my way um, with my aspirations around football. Uh, and when I headed off to schoolies, I decided that I was going to leave my faith in Melbourne. I was going to go to Byron Bay and I was going to have a good time. And I wasn't going to worry about my faith and uh, my convictions and things like that. So I went up to schoolies and had, if I'm to be honest, a pretty wild week. Um, and I came back and something really profound happened. The The first evening uh, that I was back in Melbourne at home, I went to go to sleep that night. And as I lay down in my bed to, to start to fall asleep that night, I... I remember this incredible sense of dissatisfaction came over me, this sense of emptiness that I felt in my heart. And I was lying there thinking to myself, I've just finished high school. I've just been away with all my friends, no parents, in another state, having a great time. Why am I feeling this way? This this doesn't make sense. And I just felt, it, it, it struck me how empty I felt at that moment. Fast forward a few nights later, I went along to church. Um, there was a young adult's evening on. Um, in the time of singing and worship, uh, I started to get really emotional. And as I was worshiping, I kind of fell to my knees and tears just began to fall from my eyes and kind of like, what's going on here? And I just sensed in that moment as I was worshiping, 
the Spirit of God saying, Luke, the fulfillment and the satisfaction that you've been searching for in other things, that is found in me. That is found in knowing me as your Father. And in that moment, I just said to God, hey, enough's enough. I'm all in. You're not going to be on the peripheral anymore, but I want to come to you. That night, I I had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. And after tasting, I wanted to continue to taste and see how good he was. For me, this was my John 4 moment. Um, where most of us would be familiar with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, who had been in relationship after relationship. She had been married five times, and the guy that she was living with wasn't her husband. She had, it seems that she had been going to relationship after relationship to find what her heart longed for, that fulfillment. And Jesus says to her at that well in John four thirteen, he says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here, Jesus is contrasting natural water with spiritual water. The natural well that stood in front of them with the spiritual well that Jesus was. And the question for us as believers isn't, have we tasted living water? Because we've all tasted living water to be here, to be serving God today. But the question is, do we continue to return to that well to taste and see that the Lord is good? Is, it still, is Jesus still the one that we return to to find that sense of fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction? Do we still come to the source that is Jesus? And I think sometimes we can fall into the trap, I know I have, of treating like uh, Jesus like an accessory to our lives. You think about an accessory, a handbag, a watch, Whatever it is, an accessory exists, a scarf. It exists to complement your outfit. And I think sometimes in our lives as Christians, we can get to a point where, yes, we believe in Jesus, but Jesus is an accessory that exists to complement our lives. He's on the peripheral. He's complementing our lives. But Jesus, I want to say this morning, he's a terrible accessory. Because he never wanted to be an accessory. He wants to be central in our lives. He says, I don't just want to compliment your life, but I want to be everything. I want to be central in your life. I want to be in your heart alive. And I want you to come to me as a disciple. Personally, um, I love to watch sport, as I mentioned before, whether it's uh, football, basketball, NBA, surfing, everything, I'll watch it. Um, and I think sport can be a brilliant outlet. Um, sport can be exhilarating, can't it? You think about that penalty shootout. Um, half of Australia was on the edge of their seats as the Matildas won that game against France. Sport can be a brilliant thing, but what I've observed about viewing sport for myself and others is Entertainment and watching sport can be a brilliant distraction. It can be something that we use to distract ourselves 
from the heartache we may be experiencing, from some of the other things going on in our lives. Entertainment can be a tool that we go to to numb our own hearts and to dull some of the real feelings and things that might be going on below the surface. And this is entertainment in general. Um, You hear of people binging on Netflix, might be guilty occasionally. Uh, Maybe you're a bit guilty, Netflix uh, binge. But why do we subconsciously look for distractions? Why do we subconsciously at times as humanity want to numb our own hearts? I think deep down every human heart knows that something isn't right with the world. Our hearts know that we weren't created for this broken, fractured, fragmented world that we live in. But deep down our hearts, they long for Eden. They long for that place of shalom and peace and restoration and wholeness where we would walk with God in the cool of the day and there wasn't chaos and brokenness and death and disease around us. On some level, intrinsically, the human being gets this. We long for Eden to be restored and in the absence of Eden, we look for distraction. Renowned Christian psychologist Dan Allender says this with great insight. Life is a long search for what we lost in Eden. We must learn what our souls do to compensate for the disparity between the perfect world we were created for and the reality that we are far from where we are meant to be. How true were those words? And as a result, we spend our lives creating false Edens, creating counterfeit versions of Eden. For me, uh, personally, if I'm to be honest this morning, my counterfeit Eden is success, is performance. It's like for me, if I succeed in what I'm doing, whether that's in um, physical activity, whether it's in my job, whether it's as a father, as a husband, if I'm seen to be successful and I feel like I'm doing a good job, that's when I feel good about myself. That's when I feel like, hey, I'm experiencing what my heart longs for. But what I need to understand is that that's not the true Eden. The true place, the true source of fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose is found in God and walking with God and knowing his purposes for me. A while ago, I was uh, reading an article written about Michael Jordan. Uh, It was in anticipation of his 50th birthday. A senior analyst for um, ESPN sat down with the great uh, Michael Jordan, the man um, who is the most famous athlete in history, to talk about his life and his career. And interestingly, uh, he says this, Jordan's legacy on the basketball court is unmatched, but life off the court, particularly since his final retirement in 2013, hasn't been so pristine. His self-esteem has always been, as he says, tied directly to the game. Without it, he feels adrift. Who am I? What am I doing? For the past 10 years, since retiring for the third time, he's been running 
moving as fast as he could, creating distractions and distance. Jordan stares in the mirror, wondering where to turn. How can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? He ponders, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? It's fascinating to me that the man, this man who is considered to have it all, to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, six championships, five MP- MVPs, the most six, one of the most successful labels in history, Jordan, which is uh, worth billions of dollars. Some of you would have seen the, uh, the film recently based on that brand. This man that has accomplished so much, that has an endless bank account, but at age 50, Jordan would be left knowing something was missing. He would sense in his own heart that it was longing for more. It was longing for peace, for identity, for purpose. For Jordan, basketball had become his false Eden. And I want to ask us this morning, do we have false Edens that exist in our lives? Are there any counterfeit gods that have promised us so much but delivered us so little that we can think of this morning and attend to in our hearts this morning? Is there anything that you go to in order to find what only God and his kingdom can truly offer? The good news today as we wrap up is that God is a God of restoration. And through Jesus, God is restoring us. And through Jesus today, we can have a taste of heaven on earth. Through Jesus today, we can enjoy God. We can enjoy all that he has to offer us. Through Jesus today, we can taste that Zoe life, that abundant life, that life to the full. In John 7, 37, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Can I encourage us today? Let's not settle for the empty promises of counterfeit gods, but let's drink from the well that never runs dry. It is a well that never runs dry. There will never be a short supply. God will never say to us, hey, my grace, my supply of grace, my supply of love is kind of running low this morning. Come back next week. But God, the Father, he invites us to come to him again and again for all the things that we need. The well of eternal life is available today. When we come to him We don't have to perform in order to receive from him. This is a truth that changed my life. For many years, I felt like in order for God to fully embrace me, to love me, to accept me, I needed to tick the boxes. I needed to work hard. I needed to perform in my spiritual life. I needed to get it all right. But the beautiful truth of the gospel is that when we come to God, We don't have to perform for him. We don't have to achieve, but we can simply receive. We can simply receive his grace. 
his love, his kindness, his peace. I don't know where you're at today, what's going on in your own personal life, but what I do know is that God has what you need today. Whether that's an answer to prayer, whether that's provision, whether that's a relationship that is wounded and needs to be reconciled, whether you're dealing with anxiety, God is a source that can be relied upon. God's promises are not empty promises, but he is a God who follows through on his promises. This is what I want to leave with you today. Our identity, value, and meaning isn't achieved through our good works, but it's received through the finished work of Jesus. And this is good news that we can't just keep to ourselves. Um, Being a part of Sports Chaplaincy Australia, we have a passion to get to people, to go to people where they are. As we've heard, there's less people coming to the church gatherings and churches these days, but that doesn't mean we can't go to him, go to them rather. And so many of you are doing that. This is good news worth sharing because on the surface, yes, people seem to have it together. In an affluent area like Bo Morris and the Bayside, on the surface, people seem to be going well. They're successful, good jobs, nice homes. But let me admit to you, below the surface, people are searching for more. Below the surface, people are hungry spiritually. And many people get to that point in their lives where they go. Surely there has to be more than my current experience of life. And when we are present in community, when we are present in their lives, we can offer them that more, what their heart is truly searching for. I want to invite us uh, just to close our eyes for a few moments of reflection now. I'd love to invite you to consider two questions this morning as we conclude the first one is this are there any good things in your life that you are treating as ultimate things are there any things in your life that have become false edens a place you go to to find meaning purpose Identity. If there's something that's become in your life more central, more important, more significant, and it should be, I want to invite you now just in your heart to name that thing, whether it's a relationship, whether it's success, it's a bank balance to name it in your heart, to release it to God. And to ask God to help you relate to that thing in a healthy way. And to return to him as your true source rather than to a cheap counterfeit. Second question, no one leave with us is where could we be more intentional and more present is there a community is there a place or a space that God has called us to and we're there regularly 
or whether it's the gym, the workplace, the sporting community, we're there physically, but we're not always there mentally, emotionally. We're not always present. Is there a place God's called you to be more intentional and more present? Father, as we consider your truth this morning and these questions, I pray that your spirit would come right now and illuminate. Your spirit would come right now and bring insight and understanding. And Father, I pray for each of us, because we all struggle with this at times, where we've gone to other things to find what only you can truly offer. We ask for forgiveness, for grace. And we pray that you would teach our hearts not to look inward, but to look outward to you, to rely upon you. God, I thank you that you see every single person that's here this morning. You see their needs, you see their their fears, their concerns, their hopes. And as we said earlier, God, we thank you that you have everything we need. That we don't need to achieve our way into your presence, into your right standing, but we receive Jesus and therefore we can simply come to you as we are. May we receive your love, your grace, your truth, your peace, your satisfaction afresh this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.